Hey everyone, Arson here, or Carlos, or whatever you know me as. Um, so I don't want to take up too much time with this intro because th there's a lot to get through this week. Um, like 12 records and then, you know, a handful of singles that I'm going to be going in depth on. Um, but before getting into all that, I did briefly just want to acknowledge what's, you know, happening in the world around us. Um, you know, uh, Hurricane Ida going through New Orleans and all the damage that that's caused. And the, the, the guys in Cane Hill posted earlier that they're, they're okay and they're safe, but they're going to be without power and water for at least a month. Um, like, like, like take a brief moment to like really understand like what that means. And that's not just, you know, um, pertaining to Cane Hill, but just anybody in that affected area who's going to have to, you know, readjust their lives and, you know, potentially the ones who had already experienced this prior from Katrina 16 years ago, I believe like right now or yeah, right now would be the time where like this is the 16th anniversary of that occurrence. And it's just crazy to think that, you know, there are people that are having to relive this shit. So, you know, just be, be mindful of those people, be, uh, you know, be respectful towards them and just also, just anybody, you know, being being affected by anything else going on in the world, because you open social media and it's like, okay, there's COVID, there's Afghanistan, there's just just a lot of crazy shit happening, and just you know, like just you know, think about them, be be mindful of everyone, just send your best wishes to all those affected and their loved ones, because this is a lot of just really really damaging shit, and you know, I. Like, like, what am I going to do? This is just some weird podcast made by some weird guy who has no actual ties to the music scene yet, and it's just doing this as, like, a passion project. Um, but I, I do just want to, like I said, acknowledge what's happening because there are, there's a lot of shit going on that's bigger than music, that's more important than music. And, you know, with, with Kane Hill, they had also tweeted, like, you know, it should go without saying, but everything is delayed, new music is delayed, and... Everyone I saw was like understanding of that, and that's good. I, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who read that and, you know, were like, oh, what a bummer, no new music. But it's like, just, you know, music is not everything. It's, it, it's a big part of all of us, I would imagine. It, it, it's something that for a lot of us is like almost at the center of our lives, but it shouldn't be like everything to us. It should be something that we, can like fall back on and depend on to be there for us but it's not our whole lives it's not the most important thing in the world so you know just to take a bit of time to just you know be a a appreciative of the, th the the things going for you that are going great i guess is what i'm trying to get at i don't really know where i'm going with this like i said i kind of just wanted to ramble briefly about this kind of stuff uh, so, what's on this episode? Uh, we got singles from the likes of Poppy, Heart of Gold, Can't Swim, uh, State Champs, Between You and Me, and then records from, god, this is, I, 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 let me try and gather all this briefly, uh, Ghostmane, Churches, 303, With Confidence, Grayscale, Phineas, Ginger, Turnstile, Lonely Avenue, Shangri-La, venues and halsey so yeah uh this is gonna take a while thanks everybody enjoy the episode 
so the baby from the Nevermind artwork is suing Nirvana for reasons that I didn't really understand. So I tried looking into the matter and I came across this article written by the New York Times last week and I, I still think I don't understand why this is happening. But I was looking through the article and some of these quotes are just like the uh, uh, among the most asinine shit I've ever seen emerge from music. So uh, just as an example, here is uh, a quote from one of the guy's lawyers. He hasn't met anyone who hasn't seen his genitalia, which w- when you think about it, probably true. Um like like obviously you know meeting the guy you wouldn't know he's the never mind baby but i i, I feel like everybody has seen the nevermind artwork everyone has at least listened to some of nevermind so yeah that that's actually probably true uh there was another one later on i'm trying to find it here in this article uh so apparently the guy said this to uh new york post in 2016 It'd be nice to have a quarter for every person that has seen my baby penis. That would make him fucking rich. Just, you know, to say the least. Um, so, and, and the only reason I'm mentioning this now is because it's recent, and then also because there's an album I'm discussing on today's episode that has nudity on the front of it. So, it, you know, it was just something that was kind of on my mind, and I wanted to try and uh, understand from the guy's point of view why suing Nirvana is necessary, um... Again, I don't really understand it, but, you know, not my lawsuit. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and get into the singles now. I believe there are seven of them, to be exact, that I'm going to be talking about in detail. And then I'll just, you know, run through uh, naming the rest of them like I always do. My overall favorite song from last week was the brand new Heart of Gold single called Headache. Uh, This is the... I believe the first bit of new music from them since their EP Gold, which came out a year ago. Actually, it was a was Headache exactly a year? No way. Let me check. Almost Headache came out August twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. Gold was released August twenty eighth, twenty twenty. So almost a full year between uh, the two releases. And what I want to say real quick is that Heart of Gold is such a strange commodity to be on sharp tone records because like when i think of sharp tone i think of like that i immediately think of the heavier end of their roster so like crystal lake dying wish we came as romans you know and then i would say like a step below that you've got the bands that are like kind of heavy but not as heavy so like holding absence and caskets and i guess if you want to lump don broco into that mix you could um but heart of gold like other than, like, a little bit of that, like, I guess, swagger that Don Broco possesses, Heart of Gold has nothing in common with any of the artists that I've just mentioned. Their sound is so fucking grounded in pop rock that, you know, they, they kind of feel out of place on Sharp Tone in that sense, but I'm just so glad that they're on that label because it's a big label that can get them recognition, and recognition is what Heart of Gold need. This band fucks dude they are so so goddamn talented and i feel like not enough people know that not enough people know about them or or are discovering them um so headache is just like, like such a such a journey man like the, the the pop vibes here 
are so infectious. I would say that like if something like the 1975 is the kind of pop music that you gravitate toward, then Heart of Gold is insanely for you. Headache is so catchy and just bouncy and the rhythm to it everything about headache like just captivates me honestly i think heart of gold have everything going for them as far as like the um like their production and then this the style of music that they're making and the promotion on sharp tone because if you go to i believe this is still the case but like uh, if you go to sharp tone records website the first thing you're greeted with is a advertisement for heart of gold you know it's got the name of the band it's it's got the name of the single headache as a link to the video the thumbnail for the video um links to just go to um like streaming services for that song so like you know they are plastering this single right at the front of their branding and i think that is fucking tremendous because sharp tone should be proud of what heart of gold are doing with with their name attached to their project headache is just everything i could ask for i was gonna say everything i could ask for a pop song to be but not even just that everything that i could ask for a song to be a, a song out of this weird scene man like headache it, headache is everything it stole last week for me i cannot stop listening to this song i will not stop listening to this song i am just so grateful that a band like heart of gold can exist in this scene we got the third single off of Flux, which is the new Poppy album out on September 24th. This time it is So Mean. A fucking catchy ass song, dude. Like, I, I'm so appreciative of what it looks like Flux is going to be as far as like the direction Poppy is taking because it's showing a different side of her. And I say different, but like, it, it, it's kind of more along the lines of just like the softer moments on uh am i a girl that i think she's really expanding on and it has those flares of the expertise i guess you could say off of what was present on i disagree so it's kind of just taking those two elements and putting them into what flux is so far shaping up to be and i say that just based off of how her the title track and then now so mean have like a more straightforward rock vibe to them yet it's still so like definitively poppy in a way um but yeah like i said so mean it's just really really catchy that hook is just in your fucking head for days and probably the weeks and months to come maybe the years to come uh it is just that good it is that infectious it works so fucking well just you know, I'll, I'll wake up and legit, this has happened the last couple of days since I first heard that song. I'll wake up and just the, the first, you know, sonic tone in my head is just her saying, how does she get so mean? And just the way she holds that line out for the choruses, it, it sells me on this song immediately. Even if I didn't really fuck with Poppy the way that I do, so mean would have made me a, a massive fan in and of itself. And she, she does not miss. And I don't see how anything on flux is going to be even remotely close to a miss there was a brand new can't swim song called deliver us more evil this is the first single off of change of plans which is set to be released on october 22nd uh the record is being produced by will putney so that is great news very very promising um although just the fact that it's a can't swim record alone is promising can't swim is a band that i acknowledge that i don't have nearly the level of attachment to them as i should because they 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 know what they're doing man like all of their projects so far i 
I can't find any faults with them. I think they, they, they know themselves like the way that bands just really, really should. And that, that really shines on Deliver Us More Evil. They kind of just like take what they've already been doing and what they've learned and what they've uh, exposed their audience to and just deliver another incredible song that is grounded in like, like a mixture of like, I would say just like alternative rock and then flares of punk rock. And it still has that grittiness to it that I think is so characteristic of Can't Swim. It's a really catchy song, a, a, a great hook. And then towards the end, it, it's like the song it like it, it expands in a way that th- that just makes it all the more euphoric, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. It's like, okay, so with this song, just imagine like, you know, dark, gloomy clouds over you. And then the ending of the song is those dark clouds opening up and there's just like a a little bit of sunlight and but it's still very much so gloomy very much so dark it still has that chilling atmosphere that is you know set for the rest of the song prior to that ending everything can't swim wanted to accomplish with deliver us more evil i really really believe that they did i don't see how anyone who is a fan of this band could have walked away from this song having wished they you know didn't listen to it or wished that there was something more there because i think this is more than enough to satisfy any can't swim fan and the this record come october 22nd like i have some of the highest hopes in the world for so i'm about to talk about salt by dane featuring ollie sykes from bring me the horizon uh i had never heard of dane before this song was introduced to me um and, and you know clearly the reason why i came across it was because of the ollie feature but i feel so lucky and privileged to have discovered this song i would have fucked with this song even without an ollie feature because just the the nature and the tone that this song sets for itself is so unapologetically emo and evil and twisted and just so so fucking malevolent um i'm gonna just pull up like a you know certain lines here so uh ollie's verse starts with I used to draw hearts around your name. Now I just draw blood to face another day. And then you go into the chorus, which has both Dane and Ollie, you know, uh, providing dual vocals. Pouring salt in my cuts. Tears make up my blood now. Twist the knife in my gut to break all my trust. Dog, this is some heavy ass shit here. And it's all, you know, backed by what is primarily like an electronic slash industrial kind of song. Yet that tone just it complements the lyrical content so well and the way that the song instrumentally presents itself it it was unlike anything else i heard last week i i struggle to think of anything from all of this year that resembles salt in any way i just i really felt like i had such a a unique listening experience with salt and it's you know it, it wasn't my favorite song last week but it was right up there dude this song just it, it it kills every fucking goal that it's set for itself and you know i'm kind of just reiterating myself now but like i'm so happy to have been able to discover this song and again the ollie feature is just like an added bonus like you know even without it this would have been such a fucking home run for dane there is finally 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 a new state champ song uh, so we got Just Sound out as a single last week. Uh, I'm just going to briefly gush over how undefeated I believe State Champs are at lead singles. 
So, like, you know, the finer things had elevated, and then around the world and back was secrets, living proof you had dead and gone, and then whatever, you know, this follow-up record is going to be, Just Sound, I, I would imagine, is, like, the, the perfect um, introduction to that that new era of state champs. And I say new era, although I feel similarly about Just Sound, uh, the way that I did about a single from last week, Time Bomb, and most was in white. This song is not, like genre defining it, it doesn't really push the boundaries it's not something that i listen to and i'm like oh like the game is different now like this is a you know a changing of the guard it, it's a state champ song and and that's really all that it needed to be that's all that i was asking for out of them because their brand of pop punk i think they execute in, in a way that no other band can and like you know maybe that's a little bit of an insult to some of the bands that i'm going to review later on in the albums because they are like contemporaries of state champs, but I would be lying to everyone listening to this right now if I said that I didn't believe state champs are the best pop punk band in the world right now, and they have been for a really, really long time. It's just felt like, you know, and, and I don't really mean like the, the pop punk revival stuff with like MGK and all those other people. I'm talking about just like straightforward pop punk that the scene is familiar with, you know, that warp Tour pop punk over the last decade. State champs own that genre in a way that no other act does. And I think Just Sound is only further proving that point. Black Ice by Pale Dusk. And for those who don't know, and I think it would be fair to say that's probably the majority, uh, Pale Dusk is a Japanese band that like kind of really emerged last year on their EP Happy Talk. I hadn't heard or, or seen any discourse about this band until then um that ep like really really took me for a fucking loop uh and for the same reasons that black ice did so i'm just gonna focus on black ice for right now this song it has all those like weird quirks that i would say you can get from like baby metal or like older poppy quote-unquote older poppy is in like um, you know, Scary Mask EP, and then I Disagree, things like that. Um, even like, um, Eskimo Callboy, I would say just those very, very strange and intricate yet discombobulated details are all present in Black Ice and really all of Pale Dusk's, um, packaging altogether. It's very much so like in your face metalcore, but then there's just so many like little uh, electronic bits thrown in and then the entire or not the entire but like a fair bit of the rhythm is interrupted by like glitch sounds and it's just really really chaotic and honestly frantic i, I think that's you know probably an appropriate way to describe the song frantic yet pleasing honestly in my opinion i it, it enjoy that level of calamity in songs like a controlled calamity where it, like so much is happening yet i don't really look at it as being cluttered i think it is pale dusk just kind of throwing everything out there like hey this is what we're doing if you don't like it that's cool if you do that's cool too um and yet even in like the the midst of all of that weirdness and chaotic nature that i've been describing there is rhythm here there are certain sections of the song that are just catchy and you know the, the melodies in the background get stuck in your head at, at least for me personally 
It was one of the most well thought out and well executed songs I've ever heard that is grounded in this weird realm that can be misconstrued as a monstrosity, but I I see this as art. I think this is fucking excellent. The last single that I'm giving dedicated time to on this episode is Deadbeat by Between You and Me. I initially was a little bit let down by this track, and that was a really, really unfair assessment for me to have because I was basing my opinion off of how I believed Deadbeat compared to Supervillain, which was the previous single by Between You and Me. Supervillain is one of my favorite songs of the year so far. It is one of my favorite pop punk songs I've heard in the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight, whatever years. Uh, and, and to call it pop punk would be a little bit unfair because it's way, way more fleshed out than that. There's a lot more depth to it than just a single genre. And, and, and Deadbeat really, really is, you know, kind of the same. I guess there's just something of like that initial listening experience where the first time I ever heard Supervillain, I was immediately hooked by it, and I was like, "This band is fucking sick." And I, I had already liked between I had already liked between you and me by that point. I really need to stop talking fast. Um, but Supervillain just like accentuated everything that I knew in my heart I loved about between you and me. Whereas Deadbeat was a, a very very good song, but for them to follow up a like like a career-defining song with a very, very good song, I w- w- was kind of jaded in how I looked at that, and I was like, oh, I guess it's okay, when in reality, it is really, really, really fucking good. Deadbeat is so catchy and just h- hits all the right notes in terms of like what I am looking for in pop punk. I think Between You and Me like really, really have a chance at going on the kind of a run that bands dream of. Just going off of the quality of Supervillain and now Deadbeat, they really, really have like all the power in their hands right now. They can take themselves wherever they want to, I think. And it, you know, good for between you and me. I've I, I've seen their name pop around for a minute now, and I, I I await more people learning about this band and you know the caliber of songs that they're putting out. So now I will briefly just mention by name the rest of the singles from last week that I liked, but. I'm not giving, you know, a spotlight to the way that I just did these prior seven songs. PYT by A Marionette, which is a Michael Jackson cover. Rage by Aviana. Golden by Bearings featuring Ryan Woods, which is a Harry Styles cover. Alice by Cherry. Nord by Day of Morning. Watch You Burn by Drain. Dissolve by Glass Tides. Blossom by Lake Malice. Fix Me by Lonely Spring. Bermuda by Lurk, Bleed Me Dry by Memphis Mayfire, Carvings by Orbit Culture, Perfect by Party, Damage Plan by Patient 67, Teeth by Real Friends, Circle the Drain by Wage War, Destinations by What Lies Below, and Mahogany by Windrunner featuring Soda. Hey, guess which singles from last week I didn't like? None! I fucked with every single that I heard, and that is great. I love being able to just come on here and say that all of them are good, even if I'm not talking about all of them because of time restraints. All these songs were really good. Go check them out. You can find the list of singles on my social media accounts. Uh, it is at Ulterior on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you 
if you're listening to this episode though then you probably already follow me but uh if for some reason that is not the case uh please follow me i would like the engagement all right so now 12 records that i have to review you know it's a little bit unfair that i'm able to split the reviews uh on social media over the weekend so like instead of reviewing 12 in a single day i'm able to uh review six on saturday and then six on sunday um it's a little bit unfair that I'm able, I'm able to do that for social media, yet doing it for a podcast would kind of suck because then I'd be asking people to listen to two different episodes and that's not really something that y'all have time for. It's not something that I have time to make, but you know, it is what it is. Um, complaining does nothing and I'm not really complaining either. I'm just kind of joking around. I will gladly let everybody know what I thought of these 12 records. I'm going to start with the record that I'm fairly certain is the most mainstream of what I'm reviewing on this episode. Uh, it's the one that, you know, probably has the most discourse online if I were to go search for it. Uh, and also, in my opinion, the hardest fucking album title for anything so far this year. If I can't have love, I want power by Halsey. I suppose the way that I want to start this review is by acknowledging that Halsey is not exactly seen. She is quite distant from the rest of the artists that I'm going to be reviewing records for on this episode. My thing with this, though, is I feel like I've uh, explained this before on prior episodes, but I'll just reiterate myself here. Ulterior is a platform primarily for alternative music and scene music, but not exclusively. If there's anything outside of the scene that interests me, I'm probably going to talk about it. Um, you know, I did reviews for, like, uh, BB Rexa and J. Cole and, um, Isaiah Rashad. Uh, this wasn't a, a review because it came out back in February, but on the Top Artists of February episode, I talked about Madison Beer. And the connecting thread with all those artists is that they happen to be outside of the scene, yet I'm intrigued by them and I wanted to check out their work. And, you know, whether I review the Halsey record or not, I was more than likely going to listen to it anyway, so I'm like... Alright, let me just throw it in there for some content. And besides, I, I think the argument can, can be made that Halsey is, at the very least, scene adjacent. She has enough ties to, like, what it is that we, as an audience, mostly listen to, I would say. Um, you know, she was featured on the Upside Down Question Mark song by Bring the Horizon, and then she worked with Bring Me on Experiment on Me. She and Youngblood were on 11 Minutes. So, I, I think it's fair to say that Halsey has enough of a connection to our scene to where something like this is not really a big deal. And it was important for me to note all of that just now because this was my least favorite record of last week, but it has nothing to do with the album not being seen or Halsey herself not really being seen. You know, I'm not one of those weirdos who's like so against mainstream music. I'll fuck with any music on any level as long as I think it's cool. And, you know, for the most part, I do think this record is cool. I just happen to have a few gripes with it. I thought opening the record on two rather slow-paced songs was a definitely a choice. I'm talking about the opener, The Tradition, and then the second song, Bells in Santa Fe. The Tradition, I would say, opens uh, rather well with its piano intro that's like a, a little bit unsettling, but also just like has this like, you know, profound beauty to it. And then Bells in Santa Fe, here's actually like a cool little nod to the scene. Um, the opening lines of those song of that song 
kind of samples Circus Survive, and more specifically the song, the difference between medicine and poison is in the dose. So, um, in that Circus Survive song, there's a line that says, well, don't call me by my full name, all this is temporary. The opening line for Bells in Santa Fe is, don't call me by my name, all of this is temporary. So, you know, n- nice little nod to Circus Survive and the scene altogether. I, I fuck with it, I respect it. Um, and the ending of Bells in Santa Fe, it has like this, um, l- like, uh, you know, distorted electronic sounds that are kind of creepy, in all honesty. And I thought, like, that was a really, really nice touch to finish off the song. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say here about, you know, those two songs is that they are rather slow. So I'm like, okay, third track, easier than lying. I- I'm ready for something, you know, a-, a bit more emphatic, something like very, very pop based. And easier than lying has this weird, like, kind of a kind of like a DIY punk feel to it. it, it that's at least like how I interpreted that song. It it never really sounds full. It never really sounds complete. It, it kind of loses me on its production end, and that's a weird complaint to have on a Halsey record. But that's just like like that's what I thought of when hearing this song. And it, it's that was prominent for me the first time i heard it and i was hoping that would go away the more i listened to it but no the more i listened to it the more i'm just like it doesn't really do much for me it's an okay song i i'm not saying it's bad but like it it kind of misses the mark in that sense and at that point i'm like okay where is the record going thankfully though i would say that there is a level of consistency for the remainder of the record uh the following two songs lilith and girls a gun you know, at this point, neither of them are really giving me what it is I'm looking for out of Halsey, yet they have distinct sounds that I was a fan of, and thus, you know, I couldn't I couldn't be mad about what I was hearing. Lilith is like, you know, it has like a, like alternative rock feels to it, I guess, and it, uh, again, it is like kind of slow paced, but not in the same way that the first two tracks were. This one's a little bit more upbeat, has just a little more, you know, bounce to its rhythm. I, I I really was a fan of that song, and then Girl is a Gun, it's backed by, like, drum and bass instrumentation, and, you know, that's something that really gives Girl is a Gun its own identity, it felt like one of the standout tracks from the record, at least for myself, I did go back to that song quite a few times, I really, really enjoy it. Track number six, You Asked For This, that song is fucking incredible, I... I was gonna say I couldn't believe, like, how good it was, but I can't believe it because Halsey herself is just, you know, a really, really talented artist. And you, you asked for this is another layer on why I think she, you know, has the spot that she does in contemporary music. This song is so, like, driven by, like, punk rock and alternative rock. It sounds like something that, you know, I, I easily could have imagined hearing on the radio, like, anywhere from the early to the mid 2000s. It is so catchy and, and that chorus just, delivers on every fucking note dude um like just an excerpt from it go on and be a big girl or everybody's gonna drown you out go on and be a big girl you ask for this now you better show them why you talk so loud it it has attitude man it has energy to it and i really really vibe with this track i thought it was excellent and for at least a moment was my favorite song on the whole album and i was gonna save this part for later because it comes in at track nine and i'm not really there yet but i guess i'm just go ahead and talk about it now because i introduced the idea of me having a favorite song on this album uh track number nine honey is just the quintessential halsey song present in this package L- listening to that song for the first time it felt like 
I was getting everything that I wanted from Halsey on this record. It's very, like very pop driven and alternative w- with, um, with like its instrumentation and the production elements on it. And I, I guess it, you know, really does fall into what I said about you asked for this and that 2000s nostalgia. And I, you know, I don't like to be that person who, you know, compares artists on the basis of like having female vocalists, but I really, really did get like vibes of, you know, Paramore and Hey Monday and early Courage My Love through Honey. I thought that song like kind of really stole the show as far as this record goes. And it's the song that I identify this album with. Like when I see the artwork or I hear the name, if I can't have love, I want power. It's been the tones of Honey that pop into my head immediately. I thought the song I Am Not a Woman, I'm a God was another interesting point for the record because that song has like this pulsating rhythm all throughout it and then these like synth notes thrown in and it, it feels like this electronic showcase and I think Halsey is a, a, like a master at that kind of sound. She's a master at a lot of sounds as evident through this record, but the just the, the tones on I Am Not a Woman, I'm a God, that was like a, a moment of real clarity, I suppose. And then the closer, Ya Bernie, I'm not even going to pretend that I know how to say that shit. Uh, that song has like this, uh, like, I guess it's like a connecting bass line all throughout it that it feels so bare in comparison to the instrumentation on the rest of the record. And even on the slower tracks that don't really have much going for them in terms of a backing track, Ya Bernie just kind of feels more vulnerable. And I know vulnerability is a weird thing to present sonically but that's just how i that's how i felt about the song that's how i reacted to it i thought it was the perfect closer for this record i thought it kind of encapsulated what this record achieves and what halsey like managed to push out to her audience and you know i I, I did like this record i think the score that i gave it not having um the graphic in front of me I believe it was a 7.5, and my reasoning for that comes from just the amount of times that I feel like the record kind of, like, detaches itself from the momentum that it had built, because, you know, I talked earlier about some of the slower songs like The Tradition and Bells in Santa Fe, and then uh, in between my two favorite songs, You Asked For This and Honey, you get Darling and 1121, which are good songs i did like them but i don't think they stand out i think they do kind of more harm than good to the overall flow of the record i think that you know there is some some fluff that exists here and that that's okay i'm I'm not i'm not saying like you know this is a bad record because it's definitely not i think it is a very very solid release from halsey the the high points of this album are really fucking high. There are a couple moments here and there where, for a 13-track record, it felt like 13 tracks. And that isn't really a good thing. That's not what I look for in, in, in releases. But, like I said already, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power by Halsey is a successful release. I... I can't imagine any of her fans really being upset or disappointed with what they're going to hear on this record. Especially through You Asked For This and Honey. I know I've already 
gone on and on multiple city times about those two songs in this review but i really just cannot stress enough how powerful i think those two songs are and the incredible job they do at you know refining this entire package and yeah I, i'm just you know head over heels for those two songs and the rest of the record i've already said is good and i do recommend it and i i can't really consider myself to be disappointed with this i i i did like it and actually, as I'm wrapping up the Halsey review, I'm suddenly remembering that maybe she didn't have my least favorite release of last week. And I say that because I just remember that there was a Ghost Main EP called Fear Network 2. And just, just to very briefly explain this before getting into the actual material here, I low-key got some beef with Ghost Main. Uh, not for any reason that he knows about, nor would even care about, but to make a long story short, I have spent the last few years, like, planning out a clothing line called Anti-Icon. I am so deep into it that I actually have the words Anti-Icon tattooed on the sides of my hands, because I wanted my branding to be a part of me. Um, please don't do that, anyone listening to this, um... Do not tattoo your hands. Let l- let me make that mistake for y'all. Um, but yeah, I have Anti-Icon tattooed on me. Uh, no relation to Ghost Paint whatsoever. Anti-Icon ta- My Anti-Icon... Fuck. My Anti-Icon tattoos... I can't even say the fucking name of this thing. My Anti-Icon tattoos have nothing to do with Ghost Mane. He just happened to release a record last year called Anti-Icon, which, admittedly was really really good and i liked it i enjoyed it a lot but i i I know that there's a a chance that someday you know i'll run into a situation where someone sees the tattoos and they're like oh ghost main i'm like no not ghost main but yeah that was just my imaginary ghost main beef uh let's get into fear network 2 now which is the follow-up to well i I was gonna say it was the follow-up to the Fear Network EP from 2019, but in actuality, it's the follow-up to last year's Anti-Icon, which, again, I was a fan of. Uh, I, I really, really dig Ghost Mane's style and what he does, because I think he goes down avenues that no one else in the scene does. You know, he has, like, some elements of, like, industrial, and then some hip-hop, and then some hardcore, and all that's just blended into this one package that you can really only get from Ghost Mane. There are only three songs on Fear Network 2, and I think the total runtime is going to be around, like, maybe maybe six minutes, maybe seven minutes. So there's really no harm in giving this a shot if you, if you fuck with Ghost Man already, or if you think the way that I've been describing his music is something that you could possibly get into. Uh, so what we have here is Crash and Learn, Convoluted, and Crime Time. And th- they're all, you know, good songs. I enjoyed the time that I spent with this EP. I guess where I'm coming from when I say it was my least favorite release of last week is just on the basis that, like, these three songs, they kind of sound like extensions of Anti-Icon. And that's fine, you know, Ghost Mane is still on the Anti-Icon cycle, so I, you know, would expect a three-song EP to sound the way that Fury Network 2 does. Um, You know, was it a necessary release? I don't know, that's not really up to me to decide, I can just tell everyone listening right now that i probably could have you know lived without these songs existing i'm not mad that they do it's just like 
they didn't really impact last week's lineup, in my opinion. I think this was a release that, you know, really, really could have fallen under the radar. And I think, you know, the only people who really gravitated towards it were the ones who were already into Ghost Main. Um, I think if you're going to start with Ghost Main, Anti-Icon is a much better starting point. Fear Network 2, you know, is something that, like I said, it's harmless to listen to, a very short runtime. Uh, I do recommend it, um, but I don't necessarily recommend it over the majority of the other records I have today to review. But still, I thought Ghost Man sounded great on it. The entire outro to Crime Time is just like, it's like this explosion and it just sounds like the song spontaneously combusting, if that makes any sense. I, I would say listen to Crime Time and you might get a grasp of what it is I'm trying to explain. Uh, you know, it just, Ghost Man has such a, such a unique identity and like I said, it, he is, is really, really his own personality and even if i'm being a little bit harsh on fear network 2 i i still you know back ghost main all the way i want to talk about the turnstile record now uh glow on because this record was so good someone shit themselves at a turnstile show the other day like right in the pit man that's that's fucked up but uh listening to glow on low-key i Get it. This album's pretty fucking cool. Turnstile's a big deal. They're closing in on around 700,000 listeners on Spotify, I believe. Uh, they were recently on a tour lineup that, you know, select dates included someone like Chief Keef. So for a hardcore punk band, Turnstile have this range and reach that I think is kind of, at least for right now, in contemporary scene music, unheard of for a band in their position. This record was supported by a couple of singles like The Opener Mystery, which is still a very good song, and as the opener to this record, I think it serves as the perfect introduction to what Glow On is, you know, meant to be and what it ultimately comes across as. Uh, there's another single called Holiday that I think coming out of this record is my favorite song off of the whole package. Holiday, it, it feels like so anthemic and catchy and like meant to be sang along to, yet it still retains every bit of the punk nature that Turnstile have built themselves on. I think that's really, really cool. There's a song on here, it's track four, called Underwater Boy, which really sees Turnstile head into like a more like 70s synthwave pop-driven direction. And, and that sounds like an oxymoron to, you know, put that genre in like a blender with Turnstile, yet they somehow made it work. That That's a really, really cool song. It was one of the standouts of the entire record for myself. And, you know, it's a different sound, yet I still hear Turnstile in it. They were able to incorporate all the personality into a different type of track. All of the punk vibes from Turnstile are still present here. Uh, there's a stretch of songs, or just a back-to-back -back stretch, of Humanoid Shake It Up and then Endless. Those two songs really, really define turnstiles punk nature and then it goes into fly again which i would say does primarily the same thing just maybe a, a little bit scaled back towards the end of the record you get a few more songs that you know showcase the i, I guess superiority of turnstile in the punk genre although the penultimate song no surprise is only like a 45 second interlude and it, it i would have put this song somewhere like early in the record just kind of break up um you know certain tones that to to someone listening to Turnstile for the first time and they don't really have exposure to punk music altogether, maybe like a stretch of songs can come across as repetitive. So I think putting No Surprise somewhere in between that would have been more beneficial. But 
I'm not mad at where it's placed. I think it serves as, you know, the perfect, uh, like lead in for Lonely Desires. And then coming out of this record, uh, initially I was, you know, pretty high on it. A couple days later, I would say I'm really fucking high on it. I have only like expanded my appreciation for this album since the first time I heard it. And altogether, I think I have grown to love and admire Turnstile in a way that I didn't prior to Glow On. I, you know, I don't want to say that I didn't get Turnstile, but I definitely did not view them in the same manner as a bunch of others did. But, you know, Glow On really, really showed me that Turnstile are the band that they are. They're where they're at for a fucking reason because they, you know, have a real claim to being one of the best bands in the entire world right now. And I think, you know, anyone who's like into that kind of punk music really you know, they should go out of their way to hear Glow On if they haven't already, and if you're willing to give something different a chance, if if you're not into punk music, but you want something that's, you know, kind of out of your boundaries and out of your comfort zone, then 100% go check out Glow On by Turnstile. Please let the guy that shit himself know that he shit himself for a good reason. I want to burn through another EP real quick, so let me go ahead and talk about Lonely Avenue and their new EP called Strong Enough to Fall. Uh, This was my introduction to this band, even though they've been around for a minute now. Their earliest single on Spotify dates back to 2012, and then their first record goes back to 2016. So, you know, they've been around for a minute now. They've been doing their thing just kind of under the radar. Um, They have 55,000 listeners on Spotify, and that's, you know, a considerable amount for a smaller name pop punk band. So, you know, good on Lonely Avenue. They've clearly, you know, been putting in the work. They've been doing things right. It was me who just happened to be late. And the only reason I came across them a couple weeks ago was because of an of an email that I got from their record label, We Are Triumphant, promoting uh, what was at the time the new single, Small Talk. I don't really know why I got that email, but I'm, I'm thankful that I did because otherwise there's probably no way I would have heard about this EP in time to be reviewing it. I guess I'll start with Small Talk since, you know, I just mentioned that that was the first song by this band I ever listened to. That is a top-tier pop-punk song. Well, honestly, one of the best I've heard all year so far in the genre. It's very energetic and catchy, and at no point does it, like, slow itself down. So in that sense, I guess, you know, it channels the punk side uh, of pop-punk very thoroughly, yet it, it still has so much vibrancy to it, and it's just such a, a really really dope track that i couldn't get enough of i still can't get enough of it the opening song ashland i thought was a good introduction to this project and overall a good song that i do like uh, however i also feel like the chorus on that song kind of just at, at least in comparison to the rest of the material here just misses the mark slightly maybe falls flat slightly but even then i still have all the praise in the world for that song uh, the second track, Caffeine Dreams. I- if this makes any sense to anybody who's familiar with uh, both of these bands, th- the vibe I got from Caffeine Dreams was like four-year strong instrumentation with Alessana vocals. It-, it just has like that throwback to the 2000s feel to it. And I guess on that same note, Short Story like came across to me like, like an A Day to Remember tribute. And-, and back when A Day to Remember was a band that, you know, people like we're we're happy to praise in the scene um that song it blends metalcore with pop punk and in like the most obvious and obnoxious way possible but i say those two terms endearingly and in a positive manner 
the parts of that song that are metalcore are like really fucking metalcore and kind of just in your face and heavy and then it goes into you know the pop punk sections and it's just it, it, it embraces that genre it embraces these two opposites in such a like a grandiose way and i i really really do think i left this ep believing that short story was the highlight of it and it's for as much as i like small talk and small talk has become probably one of my most listened to songs over the last couple of weeks short story i imagine is going to eclipse it very soon as far as like what from lonely avenue i'm listening to the closing track defeated and maybe I'm only going to make this comparison right now because uh, Turnstile was fresh in my mind. But Defeated gave me major Turnstile vibes. You know, definitely more melodic than Turnstile. But that, like, punk energy is still very much so present in Defeated. And I thought it was a really, really cool way to close out the EP. And an EP that I acknowledge as not being perfect, yet I am happy for its, its existence. I am so thrilled that... I was able to come across this EP like almost on complete accident and be able to sit here today and tell all of you that I think Strong Enough to Fall by Lonely Avenue is 100% more than fucking worth your time. Okay, I'm going to go into this album next because it's been on my mind and I got a few things to say about it. Need by 303. So for anyone who's not familiar with 303, they're a band that was around like way back in the myspace era of scene music and they were pretty big honestly um probably their most recognizable song from that time frame was don't trust me which has uh still to this day at least from what i can see on social media one of the most quoted lines ever in a scene song tell your boyfriend if he says he's got beef that i'm a vegetarian and i ain't fucking scared of him if you're not familiar with that song, then maybe you've heard Starstruck featuring Katy Perry and or My First Kiss featuring Kesha, which uh, those songs came out like a year apart from each other, but they still came out at like the perfect time because that was back when 303 were still a relevant band. And also in 2009, Katy Perry was like just starting to get her rise as a star in pop culture. And then a year later, the same thing happened with Kesha. So this was a band that, you know, had their like fingers on the pulse of what was happening, not necessarily just around the scene at that time, but also uh, like just contemporary music altogether. And that was one of the biggest advantages that 303 had. There was a big decline after all those songs though, because uh, Streets of Gold, which is the album that had My First Kiss, that charted number seven on the Billboard 200. And then their follow-up record Omens in 2013 was number 81 in its opening week. And then three years later, Night Sports was, let me see here, 170. So, you know, 303, they, they were such a, a rewarded band, yet as time progressed, and this happened to a bunch of scene bands, so it's not, it's not like I'm singling out 303. Their star just kind of diminished, and I think that's where we're at now with this new record called Need. And it is, intentionally a callback to their 2008 record want because you know the the names want and then need the artwork aside from a different color scheme it's pretty much the same exact thing so you're supposed to look at the artwork for need and immediately draw that nostalgia to want do i think need is as good as want no absolutely not do I still like Need? 
yeah, fuck yeah, dude. This record is really, really interesting, and it achieves that nostalgia factor that I just talked about like it, to, to a great extent. The only song from Knee that I had heard prior to the record's release, and I'm not sure if it was the only song released beforehand, but it was Vampire's Di- Diet, which I almost said Vampire Diaries because... I, is that what that's meant to do? Is it meant to be a play on Vampire's Diaries? Vampire's Diet? I don't know, man. I, that's just hitting me now while I'm recording this. Anyway, Vampire's Diet, which features uh, Burt McCracken, who is the vocalist of The Used, and because of Burt's inclusion in this track, I think this song very specifically does the whole nostalgia thing that I just talked about, and it really, really calls back to that you know mid to late 2000s period of scene music. And there's another feature track later on. It's actually the closer, Lonely Machines, which features 100 Gex. So you, you see 303 embracing the older scene stuff with the used and then more of the contemporary stuff with 100 Gex. And I, I think that song, you know, also to, to some degree feels or, or sounds dated with its, um, you know, its tactics the same way that Vampire's Diet does. But maybe only because of 100 Gex being on the track, it does feel more updated. The record opens with Last Breath, which in one of the verses kind of calls or or makes reference to what I said earlier about the band's, you know, prior success that eventually diminished. And the the actual verse goes, things have gone and changed up. Yeah, used to have a top eight. Yeah, now I got this sinking feeling. Bite down while the snakeskin's peeling. So that's just a really, really cool, you know, self-awareness factor that I think was necessary for a record like this that is obviously meant to, you know, target that audience that they likely lost, you know, between uh Want and then Streets of Gold and then the rest of their material throughout the 2010s. And it really isn't just the name of the record or the artwork that is meant to pull from the Want audience. Sonically, these songs really do sound like they, I don't want to say they could have been on Want, but they're clearly inspired by Want and they take the majority of their creative direction from what 303 used to be. And, you know, is that the band taking a couple steps backwards? I don't know. Maybe that's how some people can see it. To me, I view this record need as a band deciding to have fun and do what worked for them before and not really with the intention of blowing up the way that they did in 2008 because the likelihood of that happening is kind of non-existent. It's just a band having fun and playing the kind of music that they want to and the kind of music that they know their audience is going to want to and and it's going to bring those people back and i think that's just a a really cool decision on 303's part because what do they really have to lose at this point i think for me personally the highlight of the record the standout track is pound town that song it, it does have that late 2000s early 2010s feel to it yet it also sounds like something that you know could have been released in this day and age not necessarily by 303 but just like any other edm artist or artist it feels so laid back and just chill and and you know i i hate to be reiterating the word fun over and over again but that's really what a song like pound town exemplifies it's 303 having fun not really taking any chances not putting you know their careers on the line for the sake of a record they're just fucking around in a studio and that's where they're at their best the only issue if you even want to call it an issue that i can find with this record is the almost deceptive nature of it and what i mean when i say that is this record didn't 
need to be called need. I almost stopped myself from saying need twice in that sentence, but whatever, fuck it. Uh, the record didn't need to be called need. It didn't need to have the artwork that it does. This could have, you know, been dressed up as a, a another, just another 303 record. And if this had a different name and different artwork, I would have looked at it and been like, yeah, I guess I'll review it. But because of the name of it and the artwork, I, I looked at this whole package and I was like, fuck yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's talk about need by 303 when the time comes. And that's, that, that's a good strategy. That's very good strategy because it got somebody like me who used to be really, really into 303 excited for this project in the first time in who the fuck knows how long, over a decade at this point, maybe. Um, if this was, dressed up as just another 303 record, I don't think I'd be making the comparisons to want the way that I am on this review. So that's what I mean when I say like, you know, a little bit of a deceptive nature in how this record is presented. Um, but I really don't think anybody is going to hear this album who listened to want and not feel like they're getting what they, you know, might've asked for out of 303. I think this band understood the assignment let's put it that way and that's kind of the the closing thoughts i have on on need it's a very very good album very entertaining very fun it's not better than want it is not going to propel this band into the stratosphere the way that want did but that was probably never the intention and it was just the band deciding to put out this record you know for their older audience and sure it's fan service maybe it's pandering but i don't care i fuck with it either way we got Solace by Venues. This record almost didn't make the reviews for last week slash this week's episode um, because I was already at 11 records and I was like, I don't really want to add to this. I don't really want to have a reason to make the episode longer than it needs to be. But I was like, let me just let me just listen to a song. Let me find a song on this record, listen to it, see if it's something that I think I could take the time to give a, a, a proper review and analysis of if you want to call what I do analysis in any way. Uh, so I just checked out the opening track razor blade teeth and I was like, yeah, I, I don't need to review it, but I, I review a bunch of other shit that falls in line with what venues is going for. It seems to be like they're going for on this record. And I already heard the song. I, I liked it. So I was like, yeah, just, let me put it into the playlist. Let me go ahead and review this record. And I don't mean to say that begrudgingly in any way. It's just that was the process when adding Solace to the lineup for this episode. So like I just said, I listened to Razorblade Teeth and I was impressed with it. Uh, uh, mainly impressed with the the balance between the clean vocals from Layla and then the screaming vocals from Robin. I thought, you know, I you hear the, the screaming and clean combination frequently in this scene, but I thought with... Uh, with this song, Venues showed me at least that there is prowess in this outfit with that element of scene music. Uh, I had also read that they uh, went to the studio with Christoph, I I'm not even going to try and butcher his last name, who uh, has previously produced for Anne's Okay. And knowing that, I listened to this record and I'm like, yeah, that's what this reminds me of. This kind of reminds me of more recent and is okay stuff like the album Aurora, uh, but better, like significantly better. Solace is a 
uh, uh, leaps and bounds ahead of what Aurora was because I thought Anna's okay kind of dropped the ball on Aurora. I, I didn't think it was anything special. It was very disappointing. Solace, I obviously had no expectations for it because I didn't know about it before listening to it. But even if I did have expectations for it, I feel like they would have been met. I feel like everything that I could have wanted this band to achieve on this record, they did. I think on songs like Rite of Passage and Into the Fire, you really get a grasp for or get a grasp of the melodic sensibility that is present within this band. Their ability to write catchy hooks that are still, they feel big, they feel atmospheric, they feel almost opera-like even though that's not what they are. And that's a, a, a big strong suit for this band. Um, I do also think that probably by uh, the track that falls into the fire down below there's a, a little sense of repetition with what they're doing and that that, that doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, that doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation attached to it it just means that there did, there didn't seem to be a lot of chances taken with the material it was played very safely it, it's just a straightforward you know alternative rocks rock record with the uh the heavy elements of metalcore thrown in here and there and that's totally fine I, I think that is a formula that works for venues and they succeeded in putting out uh songs that you know really really showcase what they're what they're good at and maybe it's not fair for me to say like oh they could have done this a little bit better because i didn't know about this band until last fucking friday so what do i know about their history and in the defense of said repetition, I was never bored with the material here. I never felt like stopping what I was listening to. I never felt like pausing to go take a break and do something else. I This band had my attention for the entire runtime of this record, and I, I, I think that's very commendable. I think what they managed to achieve here, in, in terms of drawing in somebody like me who was a first-time listener, that is something that you know it, it can't be taught you can't take that away from a band you either have it or you don't and i think venues they genuinely really have it and by the time i got to the closing song mountains i was like yeah i'm really glad that i i sat through this record you know i i said earlier that there was a part of me that didn't really want to give it a chance because i was already packed with other releases this week but i i'm glad that i made the exception for venues because this is a fulfilling release i I'm looking forward now to whatever the band's going to do next. And, and that really shouldn't be on my mind or anyone's mind because Solace is still so brand new. It's literally just a week old. But like having venues as part of my, you know, quote unquote library now, I, I have another band to be excited about. I have another band to pay attention to and look forward to whatever they're going to do next and that's that's great that's really cool that's one of the reasons why i started this whole platform to begin with so that i could discover bands like venues and talk to you guys about them we got the new ginger record called wallflowers so this one's a, a, a little bit interesting to me i had heard about ginger before this record and i i had only ever listened to one song by them and I, I don't know what the song was. I can't remember anything about it, like, uh, aside from how it sounded, which was fucking crazy and, and just all over the place, but, like, really entertaining. Um, I remember, or, or, or I should say that I have this, I have a memory. I don't know if it's, like, a, a real memory, but I have a memory of watching the music video for that Ginger song I listened to a couple of years ago, and the band's, like, 
like they're at a beach and there there's like water or an ocean nearby and that that's all that i really remember visually from that from that song if anyone could let me know if that's actually ginger i'm thinking of or if it's some other band that i'm getting them mixed up with you know that'd be great um the the thing that i want to start this review on the note that i want to start on is establishing that ginger is not really a band for me their style of metal is a little bit distant from what it is that i actually enjoy uh but having said all that, I I still did like this record. It, it doesn't really turn me on to the genre, but I I was entertained by what I heard. It reminds me a lot of the Gojira record from a couple months ago in the sense that, you know, I, I didn't really like the kind of music Gojira was making, but I was a fan of that record. It didn't make me want to go seek out more metal music like that, but I was not mad at all by what I heard. And that was the story with Gojira, and it's the same story with Ginger here. I... I'm I'm okay with having heard this record. I didn't waste my time. I didn't feel like I was wasting my time. And, you know, I maybe don't have the most productive or, um, like, uh, emphatic thoughts, I guess, t- to get across to you all. There are definitely other people out there who you can go, you know, read reviews from or listen uh, to reviews from who will have more to say about Ginger than I do because they probably have more of a history with them. But I can tell you guys that f- as an outsider who wouldn't normally you know, go select Ginger on Spotify. This was cool. I I liked what I heard on Wallflowers. Just from the opening track, Call Me a Symbol, if you've never heard of Ginger before and this track is your first time coming across them, you immediately get the, the sense of how talented every member of this band is and then also just the incredible range that Tati has in vocals from her, like, death growls all the way to her, like, almost like... A, 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 not almost like a legitimately like angelic voice that sounds like it could be part of some opera yet she's using her her talents for progressive metal and and that's really fucking sick something cool that this record has is its abilities to create moments like in the middle of colossus there's this really really cool groove going on with the instrumentation uh the intro to vortex is this really really dope uh, like kind of haunting bass line that I know if I played bass, then after hearing the song, I would have immediately tried covering. Something similar happened with uh, Pearls and Swine, which uh, that one is a, a guitar riff, not so much a bass line, but still achieved the same thing. It's this really, really cool moment. Um, I, I think that, while being a, a strength of the record, is also just maybe the only detriment that I can think of in the sense that I'm able to recall moments instead of full songs and so you know this band does a great job at making the these brief moments that are able to grab me and get my attention and i I, they're stuck in my head for days after hearing this record i i still remember what they sound like i remember how i felt the first time i heard them and just like the reaction they got out of me but the songs themselves i don't know if they have that lasting power i don't know if they're going to stick with me that same way uh, which is really a shame because, like I've already said, this band is very, very talented, and every member here has a case to being like some of the best in, in the world at their respective instruments, probably. Um, but just it, it, things do kind of blend together in, in some instances, and you know, I, I don't want that to come across as a slight against the record. It's more so just about how like these moments grab me, and then the rest of the songs were good, but not like 
defining if that makes any sense if anything i'm saying makes any sense because i still want to praise the album but also acknowledge why it is that i don't know what the longevity of this record is going to be for me personally other than call me a symbol the song on the record that has been able to stick with me the most is as i boil ice which is the penultimate song and i think the reason why that one sticks with me is because i I feel like as i boil ice perfects the the craft found in this record of balancing those two vocal tones from toddy you know the heavy stuff and the the clean melodic angelic stuff that her voice is able to 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 execute and like you know i think with that song it really really shows the layers to ginger and how they're able to navigate those layers in a way that not many other bands would have been able to and so that song justifies the sound of ginger and really explains sonically to listeners the reason why this band has the sound that they do and i think ginger above all else you know, they showed out on this record. They really, really put everything they had into it, and it was successful. I did just, you know, say that some of the songs weren't able to stick with me, but keep in mind, I already said earlier that this isn't really a record for me. Ginger is not really a band for me. So it it, it wasn't, it, it was never going to, to resonate with me the way that it would other fans of Ginger and fans of progressive metal altogether, because that's not really my style. That's not really what I gravitate towards in music. But having said all that, I am happy that I took the time to listen to this Ginger record. And if you, you know, if you fuck with Ginger, if you fuck with progressive metal, then there's no way you're going to be let down by Wallflowers. This is everything that you could possibly ask for. This is a progressive metal fan's dream. And I hope that everyone who wanted to love this record fucking loves it. New Phineas album, The Fire Itself. This is their first release in four years, I believe, is the the length that it's been. So, so they've been away for for a minute now. Phineas was a band that I I knew about a, a while ago. Did I really ever pay attention to them? No, I don't. I don't think I did, and not for any particular reason. I just I, I got to a point where like. I wasn't really actively seeking out metalcore bands the way that I used to. And I think that like running ulterior has changed some of that for me because now if there is a metalcore release, I will listen to it and review it, whether I've, I've had history with the band or not. But back then with Phineas, I think I was just kind of burnt out in in terms of like the metalcore style that they go for, because what, what they do is like kind of akin to, I would say like Master Flames or, you know, more dated fit for a king. And there's nothing wrong with that metalcore. I, I actually do enjoy it. I also think that it is a scene that is very oversaturated, very flooded. And especially, you know, around, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015, I wasn't really looking for more acts like that. So Phineas kind of just fell out of my radar, fell out of my peripheral. And I, I'm, I'm not going to say I regret it because I, I, I had my reasons for not really paying attention to Phineas. Hearing the fire itself, though, I I get it. it you know, it, if you want just like straightforward, straight up metalcore, then Phineas it provides all of that for you. I think they are able to take what you know you define as like generic metalcore for this record, and they actually do put uh their own unique twist on it, their own spin on it. They're there's a lot on this record for metalcore fans to be proud of and to appreciate and enjoy, and that's really, really cool to me. 
There were three singles supporting this record. The first one was In the Night, which I, I, I did enjoy. I still enjoy it. I think it, f- it, it flows very well with this record. It's actually the closer and I don't normally like it when, you know, bands put out closers as singles, especially the first one in the case of this record. So, you know, a little bit of a strange decision, but still, I enjoyed it. And then Eternally Apart, I was like, okay, this is getting a little bit better. This is, you know, kind of growing on me. And do I think Phineas is going to, like, you know, really deliver one of my favorite records of the year? I don't fucking know. Uh, But by Eternally Apart, I didn't really have that sense in in mind. And then it wasn't until I heard the title track uh, about two weeks ago, and I was so blown away by that song it it captivated me in a way that none of the other singles were able to and i was like they probably got something here there is definitely going to be some substance on this record that is going to catch me off guard and take me by surprise uh the fire itself the title track it's so just the flow of it, it is incredible the chorus is so catchy the cleans sound outstanding it it was a real head turner of a song and you know after that i felt like i was I, I was getting into the hype. I was believing in what Phineas could potentially do on this record. I got to listen to a combination or a collection of songs that, in the moment, I really, really enjoyed. And I still do, um, you know, almost a week later. I think the the issue I have with The Fire itself is kind of what I spoke about earlier on some other acts and a sense of repetition throughout the songs and again that's fine because phineas they're not a new band at all they've been around for a minute now they know their audience they know like what the sounds are that that audience is after and i think because there's such a connecting thread through the material here that's what allows a song like the storm in me to really stand out because of how different it is and how uh, you know different the pace is to that song compared to everything else here and you know, for those reasons, I'm very happy to put the storm in me on a pedestal and say that along with the title track, this is the song from the record that I am paying attention to. This is the one that I'm taking with me, and I'm I'm happy to say that because the storm in me was a, a, a real bright spot for this record. It was a real shining moment and an achievement. I don't think the fire itself pushes any boundaries. I don't think it's going to be this landmark release for metalcore that other acts in the scene look to for inspiration i do however think that what you get here is the showcase of a band who understands their sound and understands how to be really fucking good at it you know maybe i don't think like the world of these songs but i also think that they are exceptional tracks that people you know, who want to gravitate towards them will. And I'm sure that the people who, you know, have been riding with Phineas for however long they've been together and who waited it out for four fucking years for a new release from them, I really, really hope that they took this record and hold it close to their hearts. I hope they enjoy every second of what they heard here because it's always one of the coolest feelings in the world when a band that you champion so hard delivers on everything that you want from them. And I I really, really hope that that was the case for Phineas and their fans. Shangri-La put out what I think is their second EP to date. It is called Analog Youth. It is a five-track release, only 18 minutes long, and that's one of the reasons why I would say that everyone should go out of their way to check out this release, you know, because the length is so accessible. But at the same time, the material here is also really fucking accessible too. 
this band they so, so they went on a on a stretch of singles and lift me up was the initial single that i heard from them back at the start of july and I, I don't really know where that song came from i don't really know how i came across shangri-la maybe it was through the the dreambound channel on youtube uh or some random tweet but either way i just happened to come across lift me up on accident and i was really 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 thankful that i did because what i was presented with was a song that completely caught me off guard i had not heard of this band before i didn't know where the fuck they came from i didn't know how i had this song in my possession suddenly but i i was like hearing something that i so the the comparison that i drew and maybe this is like off base but it's at least like what i formulated in my brain lift me up reminded me of breaking benjamin if they were a post-hardcore band and you know i I understand that that is a a a weird combination to try and take into account but that's where my mind went and i was so 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 enthralled with that song and i think as the opener to the ep it it somehow has even more of a a perfect reasoning for its, its existence and then from there, the EP goes into Waiting and then Let You Down, which was also the chronological order in which those two singles were released. And w- with every passing single in-, in the lead up to this EP, I was just thinking to myself, like, I-, I again, I don't know where this band came from. I also am somehow now questioning how I had never heard about them before, because these songs are fucking class. They are excellent. They're everything that I, I could ask for modern post-hardcore and like that. When I say post hardcore, I don't mean like, you know, the, um, like the, the, the screamo side of it. I hate that term, but the screamo side of it that I raved about a couple weeks ago on If I Die First, I'm talking more like just, you, you know, um, dramatic and e- emotional post hardcore that, uh, you know, takes like some punk influences and then also like indie stuff. That is where this EP is grounded in. And I, I think Shangri-La have somehow mastered that realm they are so fucking talented dude the final two songs in the ep were the only two that were not released prior as singles you have be okay and then higher as the closer be okay is very scaled back it has like a like a ballad feel to it in a way or maybe not ballad feel but like uh like a more acoustic take on it and there's still instrumentation backing the rest of the song but uh it, it just has like a more vulnerable and stripped back feel to it compared to the rest of the material and then higher is just a, a a real like showcase of what this band is capable of and the chorus on higher might be the standout moment of the entire release i think the execution of that chorus the, the way that uh you know vocally some of the lines are held out there the emotion of the backing track everything about that song just like takes what you know you had heard prior from shangri-la and just wraps into this one package and it is so euphoric it is everything that i could have dreamed of a closer for the ep being and on honestly the ep itself is everything that i could have dreamt for it to be this is a a perfect ep it is astounding and what's even more astounding than the quality of the ep is the sheer fucking uh, stupidity that i had when reviewing this album or this ep on social media and giving it a four and a half out of five that was some fucking five iq bullshit on my part i don't know why i didn't go five i don't know why i wasn't willing to acknowledge over the weekend that it's a perfect ep um I guess the only thing I can really say is like 
year end award come December might be my chance and my time to right that wrong and acknowledge Shangri-La as one of the standout bands that I've discovered so far in 2021 and the possibility of Analog Youth being a top tier EP of the entire year. We're almost at the end. Almost there. Three records left. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the self-titled release by With Confidence. I feel like this record's been in the works for a minute now. I feel like I can tr- trace the the trajectory of the singles back to like around the springtime. And uh, the band doesn't have the singles listed on Spotify anymore, so... I would have to like dig back through the ulterior social media accounts to find like what singles were released in what order. Um, I don't think that's necessarily important right now though. What I remember, or wait, hold on. There, there actually might be something that I can do if I just like search through my Spotify library. Uh, bear with me here. Okay. Yeah. That, that was, that was easy. Um, I was gonna say low key stupid. I am high key stupid. Uh, yes, I have the order here. So, Big Cat Judgment Day was first. That song is catchy as fuck, dude. It it is like like it, it's pop punk that kind of embraces like the pop nature more so than the punk nature, but still really really fucking cool. I remember hearing that song and thinking like they. Well, I I already liked with confidence. I already knew that they were talented. You know, I always go back to keeper and that's something whenever i feel like listening to this band because i think uh with all the releases up to now they've really shown a lot of promise and a lot of capabilities in what uh they're doing uh but big cat judgment day was not really a turning point there is a turning point later on that i'll get to but big cat judgment day was just a a, a real like notch on what this band is capable of uh, then it goes into Cult, which was good. Anything, uh, another very, very good single. And, and throughout this whole singles run, I had no reason to doubt with confidence in what they were going for on this record. Paper was the single that like really, really opened my eyes and made me think like there, there is something to this record. There really, really could be like the, the possibility of with confidence breaking out in a way that they haven't been able to. Paper is not really an acoustic song, but like primarily acoustic. Yet when the chorus hits on that song, it hits with like so much punch. It is the, the, the highlight, the standout of the record. It is possibly the highlight of with confidence's entire career. In my opinion, paper is just a, a, the quintessential song. Honestly, in my opinion, at least. I think the opening song, What You Make It, is very standard with confidence. Uh, there's nothing to complain about there. It is the band doing what they do best. Uh, but then it goes into City as the second song. And City is really interesting to me because that song, it it has a lot more of a pop rock nature than the pop punk that I think with confidence's audience is used to. And for a song like City that takes a, a really big chance... Honestly, it pays off tremendously for With Confidence. I thought they fucking killed this sound, and like it, it really, really showed off their versatility with City. I feel like the same thing could be said for No You 708. That's another song that has like so much pop flair to it, pop sensibility. Uh, Atlanta, the penultimate song, is almost like 90s pop in a way. It, it just kind of it has like that, um, I guess, nostalgia, even though I'm was born in 95 so like my retention of 90s is not really 
too existent, but uh, like I can just hear Atlanta and visualize like you know 1990s commercials and like TV shows or, or music videos being set to that song. You know, like uh, like like kind of like like imagining a video with like diminished uh, quality. That's just what comes to mind whenever I hear Atlanta. And then the closing song "Lose" is like so scale far back from everything else. It is it's not acoustic but it definitely is like so much slower paced and i think it's just you know i mentioned versatility earlier and i think lose is another instance of with confidence really showing their range and showing that they're not like a one-dimensional band they really really have so much to offer that was probably rather brief for a review but i really felt like i got everything across with with confidence that i wanted to and to just stay on the subject of pop punk, now I'm going to get into Umbra by Grayscale. So my introduction to Grayscale came back in 2017 on their cover of Love Yourself by Justin Bieber on Punko's Pop 7, I think it was. I'm not even really going to try and remember what volume that was. Um, and then from there, I did check out their album from that same year, Adornment, and I thought it was okay. Um, it didn't really stick with me. It wasn't a release that I really ever felt it, you know, like I should have gone back to. It, it was just something that I listened to and I was like, all right, that was fine. And then I kind of moved on. Uh, Nella Vita from 2019, I thought was, you know, pretty good, but also kind of the same thing. So this hasn't really been a band that I've, you know, been following uh, intensely or championing to a great extent. They had a single last year called Diamond, which is not on this record, but I thought that was okay too. So, you know, I, I guess the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Grayscale is a band that I don't really have an attachment to. I acknowledge that they're good and talented, but I'm, I'm not, you know, rooting for them hard. Um, that has pretty much changed though with Umbra. I feel like Umbra really got across the, the, the levels that there are to this band and the, the range that they have and what they're truly capable of. Uh, so like the, the opening song without you, it, it, it's still pop punk at its core, but it also feels very Broadway in a sense. And then towards the end of the song, there's like a saxophone that comes in and like really gives the song like its own identity and another dimension separate from every other grayscale song I've ever listened to. Um, at least I think it's a saxophone. I wouldn't really know what a saxophone sounds like outside of Shrezzers. Dirty Bomb, the second song, feels like a a really massive pop punk song. It, it's got a huge chorus to it. It the delivery on it is like just something that I wasn't really expecting from Grayscale. Like uh, pretty much this entire record, I wasn't really expecting. I thought it's something that I was going to you know like and probably enjoy, but not something that I would come on here and be uh, you know so enthusiastic about and rave about. But Grayscale they've won me over big time with umbra and like i said without you and dirty bombs as the two opening songs did a lot to really show me immediately that this is a record i need to like really sit down and listen to and pay attention to and soak in there's a stretch of songs that goes from motown into over now into Dreamcatcher, which all feel like they work in unison with one another and just have like you know so much energy to them and they almost feel danceable in, in this kind of weird way uh, there's a song on this record, Carolina Skies, that is, you know, slower than everything else, and it feels very laid back and stripped back, yet all of those, like, really big pop elements and all the other songs is present on Carolina Skies, and the chorus has, like, this really cool, like, stop and start thing going on with its rhythm and, and the drum beat in the background, 
And I just felt like Carolina Skies ended up being the highlight of the entire record for me. It was one of the highlights of last week for me. I believe in Scenic Overlook, it was top five, maybe number four. It was just such a powerful song that, uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't really expecting this kind of an album from Grayscale. I wasn't expecting to have a song that I could legitimately identify as one of my favorites of the entire year from any band in any scene. The closing song, Light, is the only one that I can kind of compare to Carolina Skies as far as pacing goes, but even then, Light has, you know, minimal instrumentation. It definitely is, uh, on a different, on a different tier, on a different level compared to Carolina Skies, but it, it still shows that there's a, a lot of heart in Grayscale. There's a lot that they, they did right on this record that I didn't even know they could have had a, a chance of doing wrong. They, like really really took me by surprise i was not expecting to come on here and be and and be this way about a grayscale record and tell you guys that i thought it was one of the best albums i heard in all of august it umbra just like i mean like the only way i can really describe it is that umbra just slapped me across my fucking face and told me to respect it and i have no choice now but to respect it it is a a, a class record it is so good so catchy so like just I, I i said danceable earlier like it's so easy to just like move along to these songs and get lost in them and feel like you're listening to something that is going to stick with you for a really really long time and now we have arrived at the final record for today's episode and subsequently my favorite release from last week screen violence by churches so is Church's scene? I don't fucking know, dude. Maybe, maybe not. I, but it, honestly, at this point, what is seen and what's not seen is probably, you know, left to interpretation by a listener because I really don't even know what scene means to begin with, even though it's what I cover. Um, because if we talk about scene in, in a broad sense, uh, you can fit Infant Annihilator and Chase Atlantic into the same sector of music, and that's kind of wild to me. So, you know, sure church is a scene um it doesn't really matter to me though because this record fucks it is incredible you should all go listen to it but this is definitely not my introduction to churches i've definitely heard of them before and i've been familiar with their material to some extent i i think the first time i actually like really really took time to listen to them was on a song they had that was featured on the death stranding soundtrack i don't remember what it was called but that's you know I was going to say that's as far back as my, like, uh, my relationship with churches goes, but that's actually not true. They had a song with Marshmallow either in 2018 or 2019 that I also really, really fucked with and I thought was great. Uh, but this is the first time that I've really dedicated my time to a church's album. And I really don't think I could have been happier with the end result of that. Screen violence is not perfect, I want to say. I, I don't really see it as being in that same echelon as other perfect records from this year in my opinion but it is as close to perfect as i can possibly find a release i want to say the first single for uh screen violence was he said she said which had to have come back come out back in like march or april it, it's definitely been a minute um but what that song did was like really open my eyes to how much i could probably like churches and then the follow-up to that was How Not to Drown, 
uh, which features Robert Smith from The Cure. And that song really does, it, it sounds like it draws inspiration from The Cure. So I think that is the, you know, the, the most appropriate feature possible. And even then, How Not to Drown is just so catchy. The, the chorus on that is like, like, it's so hard for me not to just like, you know, move my head around or feel like moving my shoulders to the song. It is just, it, it works in every way that it's meant to. It checks every box you could ask for off of a pop song or like a pop rock, all pop, pop rock, whatever you want to call this fucking thing. That is what How Not to Drown excels in. The opening song to the record, Asking for a Friend, it, it really exemplifies what churches are so good at, and that is crafting these like upbeat electronic tones while there are just these like almost heart-wrenching vocals attached to it and it's like hey man can you cry and dance to a song at the same time because that's what asking for a friend kind of makes me want to do and uh, on that same note uh i don't really know when i was going to feel like getting into this but i guess i'll do it now because it kind of uh piggybacks off of what i'm saying about asking for a friend final girl is one of the best songs i've listened to all fucking year final girl it is like when i think of screen violence when i see that really really sick fucking artwork for this record for the last week it's been final girl that pops into my head and the name final girl comes from the trope of like horror movies and there being like you know a, a girl at the end of it who's like fighting for her life and fighting for survival and things like that and it just it, it, lyrically instrumentally it it's so like it gets to me dude it it's just and it's hard to explain really like why i fucking love final girl so much but i i i can't express enough good things about that song it is everything to me dude i fucking love final girl i think like you know the rest of this album could have bombed it could have sucked i still would have come on here and said you need to go out of your way to listen to final girl i think songs like violent delights Good Girls and Lullabies also do uh, outstanding jobs at really showing you as a listener what, like what churches are and what they're able to bring to music or the scene or whatever you want to say they fit into. Songs like those like really show the place that churches has. The closing song, Better If You Don't, that actually goes hand in hand with what I said earlier about asking for a friend in Final Girl and how it's just like this emotional roller coaster that is still attached to you know electronic rhythms that are are, are so catchy and infectious and y you can't help but want to move to even though at the same time you're listening to it and you're like hmm should i really be like vibing in this manner to this song but i think you know either way screen violence succeeds in getting a reaction out of anyone who's listen listening to it i and maybe you know this is possible, but I don't know how it's possible to listen to any of these songs on screen violence and not feel something for it and, and establish some kind of an attachment to because this is, you know, a pop rock, if you want to call it that pop rock or all pop, I don't fucking know what it is, but whatever it is in that pop realm, this is like a, a, a clinic on how to do that sound and do it uh, to, uh, to a degree that not really many other artists or, or bands are out there doing churches you know came in, in, into the picture with this record and they really really just showed why they have the audience they do why they are so captivating and, and why everyone as listeners and consumers of music regardless of what genre you want to say is your favorite regardless of like you know how you look at music 
you you owe it to yourself to listen to screen violence. I don't think you will have a full, complete 2021 listening experience if you don't at least give one spin to screen violence. And that's it. That was everything that I had to say about all of last week's releases. This episode is being put out very late, uh, or at least late in relation to when I wanted to release it because of how time-consuming it is to listen to 12 records and collect thoughts on them, cohesive thoughts like that, to, you know, come on here and express. So, yeah, I'm very tired. I'm very drained. My voice definitely is feeling it, so... More than likely, you can fucking miss me with ever reviewing 12 records on a single episode ever again. I, I'm i going to have to, you know, examine and evaluate, like, how many records I review in a single week. And if there's ever going to be a case again for why it should be 12. But, you know, we'll figure that out when it happens. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And, as always, for better or worse... Let's make a scene.